You know, it's a wonderful thing when a church allows its pastor to be gone for a, a real emergency. And with uh, Vic and Kathy being gone to spend some time with parents and to come alongside of them at this particular moment and share with them is a very special thing. Because we ought to respect our mother and our father. We ought to expect those who are those who have brought us up and those who we care for so very much. And the special ability that Vic and Kathy both have concerning medicine is really important at this time. When you're in the midst of a medical crisis, it's really hard to understand all of the things that are taking place. And it takes someone who has been there before, who has listened under many circumstances to really be alongside and to help. And so I commend you in allowing them to be gone now. And you ought to spend some special time in prayer just asking that God will give real insight as to what is taking place on Tuesday when they meet with the doctors. And then in the time that comes after that, because they need time to understand it and to actually spend some time learning it. Uh, on April 14th of last year, we had the same identical type of thing happen to us. Because on April 14th, while we're sitting in our uh, studies, our, our, actually our front room, watching a program at that particular moment, we get a phone call from Brent, my son-in-law. And he tells me that he's on his way to Wendy's workplace. She's an insurance salesman. She's had a seizure. And they're not really sure what is taking place with her. And he's trying to get there as quickly as he can. And traffic, of course, is bad at that moment. And he says, I'll keep you in touch at this moment, but uh, you may need to come up here. Well, it's two, three days now before Easter Sunday. It's one of those days that, of course, every pastor looks forward to, and an opportunity to preach the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the fact that salvation was assured on that day when he came forth from the grave. He was delivered for our offenses. He was raised again because of our justification, and we could rejoice in that. And that's a great day for a pastor. You enjoy it. But yet, we may not get to be there. I've seen other people have seizures, and sometimes they are rare, but I get a phone call not too long after that saying that she's had not just one seizure, she now has had three seizures. There was a second one at the second hospital, the hospital that she went to, and then a third one that followed after it, and she was in real dire straits at that moment, and that we needed to get up and leave and go up and spend some time with them in Omaha to find out what was taking place. Now, I'm preaching through the book of James on a regular basis. Yeah, Easter was coming, so it was going to be a different book than James. But yet at the same time, I'm thinking how this book applies to what is taking place. I'm thinking through the passages that we have already covered and yet those that are yet to head and realizing that we shouldn't only talk about the fact that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharp in the twigged sword, that it pierces even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit, but we ought to be able to apply it to our situations. And so, after we had finished with Wendy up in Omaha on that particular occasion, I'll fill in a lot of details in a few minutes, I preached a sermon at my church. And the sermon at my church was really a testimony 
facing life's problems from the book of James. Because in essence, it does teach us what we need to do. We need to not only read the Word of God, we need to apply the Word of God. We need to make it something that is real in our own hearts and lives and to see how it fits under every circumstance. With the second phone call and the fact that she's now had three seizures and they're moving her from one hospital to another, it's obvious that we need to get packed up and go. And so Mary Jean gets uh, very active at the moment, throws some clothes together into a suitcase or two, and we immediately try to get packed up and ready to go on this trip. In less than about a half hour, we're on our way, basically. As we're traveling up the freeway, I'm telling myself, now you've got to stay calm. You've got to realize that you cannot force yourself to go fast. There is a speed limit. And just because you have a, a problem means you can't break the law. And that was one of those times I said, well, praise the Lord, this car has cruise control. Because I set it at uh, the speed that it should be for going up that road and realized that I'm saying, Lord, it's three and a half hours up there. There's no way around it. It's 310 miles. We need, need to get there as quickly as possible. 210, I'll take that back, 210 miles. We just needed to get there. And you're praying on the way, Lord, guard over the life that you granted to us for a short period of time. I'm so thankful that she has come to know you, but Lord, is this her time to go home, or is it just a, a medical scare? We go up the road, and my wife and I are seniors, so you have to stop and find a restroom on the way. And when we get to that, I get a third phone, uh, third phone call from Brent. Brent is telling me that according to the doctors at the one hospital before they transferred her to the special neurological center, that she has a brain bleed. That was a really severe statement to me. Because Mary Jean's mother died of a brain hemorrhage. She was fine in her chair one night, uh, one morning. She had a cup of coffee in her hand, which was her habit all the time. And then she all of a sudden couldn't pick up the cup and she couldn't get out of the chair. And she called for her husband and she had a brain bleed. After they got the paramedics there, they took her to the hospital. And that was the last time she spoke to a young man saying, you're such a nice young man. And the Lord called her home. Knowing that brain bleeds are so very serious that they are really a problem, I'm thinking to myself, is this the time, Lord, you are going to call her home? Now, not from the book of James, but from other portions, I realize this, that Scripture teaches us that our, our normal lifespan is three score and ten. And if we live longer than that, they'll be in weakness. Wendy was 42. I didn't think that that was really a problem at that particular point. She's been in very good health, and yet I realize that at the same time that when the Lord calls someone home, it's not a tragedy, because Psalm does tell us how precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. But I'm a parent who loves his child, who cares for her, who knows this, that the Lord does all things well but God, I want to get there. 
I want to see her. And as you go out of there, I'm saying, I have preached my dad's funeral. I preached Mary Jean's dad's funeral, and I also spent some time with her mother's funeral. God, will I have to preach my daughter's? And the fear of that wafted over me. Because although I felt that I could share exactly when she came to know Christ and the fact that she would be with Him in glory, it was still going to be a very hard time. The words of James comes in. James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse testings, knowing that the testing of your faith worketh patience, and let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and endure, lacking nothing. Count it joy. Lord, not the illness, but the fact that I can depend upon you means I can count this even as a joyous situation. That, Lord, this is a time when rather than depending upon myself, rather than trying to be fearful of what's taking place, I need to just trust you. And then I remembered verse 5, If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth literally and umbraideth not, and said, God, I don't really know how to face this correctly. You're going to have to give strength. The hospital had changed from what I was initially told, so now we have a new hospital to go to, and we're heading up there as quickly as we can. We take care of matters that we need to on the way up and we get finally to the hospital at that particular point. And then there's that uh, usual problem that we all face. Where's the way in? <laughs> you know, I'm a, a pastor who's been to just about every hospital that you can name in this particular area. But up in Omaha, I don't know what any of them are like. And we hit a parking lot and go all the way to the end. And when we get there, this guy takes a look at us and says, what are you doing here? I said, uh, my daughter's in, uh, on the second, third floor of a, an emergency room. Uh, she's in intensive care. And he says, oh, well, you came in the wrong way. Here, let me take you. He takes me to the front door. We go in and we go up to the front door and go up to the third floor and find her room and go into her room for the very first time. Now, as a pastor, I have spent much time with people that had been through medical crises. In my second church that I was in, I had 72 people when I first got there. Of those 72, I buried 42 of them because they were older. I had six funerals in one week. I spent much time with people who were going through bypass surgeries, who had had medical crises beyond degree. So I knew what medical crises were like and it was a question as to what I was going to see when I entered that door. So you quietly said, Lord, help me to be the person who can come alongside and give encouragement to my son-in-law and to others. Help me not to be a hindrance. Help me not to be tempted to take things into my own hand. Because when we are tempted above measure, our mental faculties get twisted and when we get our mental faculties twisted, we run into sin. And when sin, according to James chapter 1, matures, it produces death. 
But yet at the same time, it tells us at the end of that chapter that every good and perfect gift comes from God. So if I depend upon God in that situation, I may see His perfect gift. And we walk in the room. It is a surprise to see that Wendy is on a ventilator. It is at the same time hard to see that the fact that she's not even awake at that moment because they've got her in a coma on purpose to keep her quiet, to keep her uh, there. And you're looking at her and you're looking at how peaceful she is in the bed and the fact that the ventilator is taking care of all of the things for her and you're going, Lord, what's up? What has happened? What don't we know? And you are going at that particular point and saying, God, you are someone who does all things well. Help me to understand what is taking place. Not to jump to conclusions, but rather just to wait upon you because your word tells us that. It tells us sometimes that when we're in the midst of crisis in Psalms 46, that rather than pressing, wait. How hard is it to be quiet? All of us know that that's really hard. So you listen to Brent and you listen to his mother and you listen to the medical expertise that they have and let them share with you for a while and they tell you that a doctor is going to be around quickly to show you what's taking place. Um, I'm saying, does she really have a brain bleed? And the guy says, no, there, there, there's not a brain bleed. He smiles. He says she has a tumor. And then he shows me a little bit of a scan that they have done from a CAT scan. Now, when I think of a tumor in somebody who's been, never been ill before, never seemingly ill concerning that, you expect something real small, right? I want you to take a large egg in your mind, and that is the size of the tumor that is on that side. I take one look at that, and my medical knowledge of what I've seen in the past says, whoops, this is really serious. And yet you say, Lord, you've got to help. The help in this particular case is for me to wait upon you and to wait till I know what is taking place, not what I assume is taking place. You see, we sometimes make our plans well ahead of time. James chapter 4 tells you basically that you're not supposed to plan your own schedule. You're not supposed to say, tomorrow I'll do this, tomorrow I'll do that, tomorrow I'll do this. In my case, it would have been three days from now I'll preach concerning the resurrection of the Lord. It's going to be a great day. All of a sudden, it's not there. Praise the Lord that Joe Williamson was available and he could come down and preach and share with my people. And Lord, I'm not going to get to preach on Easter, but God, this is where I need to be. Help me to rest in the one who created all things and knows the beginning and the end and does all things well. How many times do we say, God is good? He is good all the time. And just because someone you love is before you and not seemingly doing well doesn't mean that God isn't good, that he hasn't done things well. And I wait until the uh, 
neurologist comes in, the neurosurgeon. He comes in not too long after that and he takes a look and says, uh, are you the family members? And we say yes. And we begin to hear him describe what has taken place. He says, based upon what we see at this moment, we're going to take a, an MRI tonight, but based upon what we see tonight, she has a very large tumor. If it is a stage three or stage four, if it is a stage three, she'll probably have somewhere in the neighborhood of five years. If it is a stage four, we'll keep her comfortable. She'll have about six months. He says, uh, it's a large tumor that's on her side. And he has a nurse with her that is just absolutely amazing. And we listen to what this person is sharing with us. And we're amazed at the knowledge that they have. And yet at the same time, we realize that this is medical science talking. It's not the Lord. And we say that we are going to be praying for you and sharing what God is, de is delivering to us. And we have told him that all the way down we have been praying already for the, the surgeons and the ones that would be on her case. And he smiles and says, well, I'm, I'm really not a churchgoer. So it tells me that he's basically a person of medical science. And yet at the same time, He's extremely compassionate. We listen. You know, the Word of God tells us what our emotions are like at all times. When we're angry, when we're bitter, when we're confused. The book of James goes through a whole series of emotions of how we judge others wrongly and how we then have a false standard that we use. And yet at the same time, it also tells us what the right standard is how we are to depend upon Him in every circumstance of our life, how we're to watch what we say, how we're to guard our speech, how we're to bless and not curse, how we are to maintain a correct attitude. And God, in the midst of this crisis, help me to say that which is wise. I walked over to my daughter's bed and I took one look at her and I said, Lord, she gave her life to you when she was four. How thankful I am for that day. She's yours, not mine. She's always been yours, never been mine. And therefore, God, you have the right to do what you want. And after he has told me that she may not have a long period of life, I remember that James says in chapter 4 that our life is but like a vapor that appears for a short time and then disappears. I remember from Hebrews that it says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this comes the judgment. I remember that God's got all these things planned under His control, and it's not going to go around Him. And I'm thankful. And quietly by her bed, sharing those thoughts in prayer with Him, there's a calmness that I cannot express. Because Philippians 4, 6 is right. By prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding shall fill your heart and soul. And although she's on a ventilator and I'm looking and saying, Lord, will she ever come out of this? There still is that assurance that even if she doesn't, She's with the Lord forevermore.
And that is a quiet, quiet blessing. Well, because of all of the tragedies that she's been through and the fact that they've got her on a ventilator, they keep her basically sedated for a whole day. And then the next day they begin to take her off of the ventilator. Now, Brent and my wife were gone at that particular point because he had some things he had to take care of. There was business that just had to be done, clothes that had to be washed, things that had to be taken care of. They got a dog, and that's no small dog. That dog's big. And they had to go take care of it. It was then that the staff decided that they were going to take off the ventilator. And I'm in the room, and the only family member there, and I'm thankful to the Lord that I am the only one there because I've got a little bit more medical knowledge than they do at this particular point. And I know what's going to take place. And Lord, I'm saying, help her to cooperate with them. Help her as they take off the ventilator. And when they get the ventilator off, finally off, and she is able to breathe by herself, they whisper in her ear and say, Honey, how you doing? And she says, My throat hurts. Whispered it. Everybody in the room laughed. And for a moment, all of a sudden, I could see that there still was Wendy there. The doctor came in and said, The MRI shows that she's got a large tumor. We're going to be doing a biopsy on it on Monday. And they went about the process of doing that. It was at that time that he was extremely careful because if he got just a little bit off on taking the biopsy, her speech would be affected. We said, Lord, guide his hands. Help this doctor to be not tired, but to get it right on the first attempt. And although it was a, a much longer period of time than he initially projected, he came in and said, we got the, the, the thing that we needed. And he says, this biopsy looks uh, pretty good nature. We found out later that there were two things that they wanted to see. They wanted to see first what level it was at. Instead of a three or a four, it was a two. A low two. He said, that was totally unexpected. He then said, both markers that are needed, the marker for longevity is there, and the marker which indicates that this tumor is susceptible to chemotherapy is also there. And he's going, that's very rare to see all three of those things. And we can probably do pretty good here. After they got the biopsy back and were able to do some uh, interviewing with him, we finally learned all the nature that was there. So what can we say? We go to an emergency, and quietly we hear that God takes care of her. He always does things well, and does it according to his perfect plan. And even if he had chosen to take her home at that moment, that would have been his perfect plan. Not mine, his. And his is far better than mine. But yet, at the same time, what when I looked at the CAT scan or the MRI looked impossibly large and terrible, actually had good news. And God is doing things well even now. She has had, since that time, radiation therapy. 
They did 30 episodes of it. It wore her out. She's tired. She was really worn out from it. She was glad to finally get the mask off of her face. She's begun chemotherapy. She's had four rounds thus far. She has to take nausea medicine. They changed the nausea medicine after the third one because she had uh, some problems with headaches. The new nausea medicine didn't work. She had real bad nausea that day. She's still going through chemotherapy. She's not getting the white blood cell count that she should. And she was going back for her next to last MRI and saying, Lord, may it be gone. From radiation, it had shrunk a little bit. That usually doesn't show up. From chemotherapy, there has been no change in it at this particular point. And the doctor said, did you read the report before you came in here? She said, yeah. And he said, don't. He said, you don't know how to read that thing. Here's what it really says. Aren't you glad sometimes there are experts? Aren't you glad sometimes that there are people who know what they're doing and all you have to do is you have to depend upon the skill that God has granted them. But the one thing I am always willing to say is it's not the doctor who saves the life. It's God who directs the saving of that life. A medical technician one told me who is a believer, he said that he read the diary of a Civil War veteran, a doctor who had treated many people. He did amputations. He did everything else that he should do. And he says, I'm a urologist, and yet this man required that I read this guy's diary. And he said, it finally dawned on me what it really said. He said, I dressed at the end of every single day, the doctor, after he talked about all of the surgeries he did, the successes and the failures, he always put on the very end of it, I dressed the wounds, the Lord heals. Aren't you glad that is the case? That God is the one who's in control. God could, if he desired to, cause that tumor to disappear. At the same time, he may not choose to have it disappear because Paul had an illness that he prayed for and it wasn't removed from him. He said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will take pleasure in infirmities, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. And when you depend upon God... In the midst of a trial, you can be strong, though weak. Emotionally, it wears you out. You go back to the hotel. You hop in bed. You ask the Lord to allow you to sleep. And you know that you may get some sleep, but it's going to be restless. And you know at the same time that you have to do one thing. You have to say, God, she's yours, not mine. You have the right to do what you desire to do because you will do it well. And so we are waiting still to see all the things that are going to happen for her. On top of all of that, guess what? Their house is full of fleas at the moment. <laughs> And they've been trying to 
counteractively since October, and they haven't been able to do so. So they've got another little trial along the way. Thursday night, after a call from my daughter, I basically prayed in bed and said, Lord, I don't know how you do this. Kill the fleas. Only you can do it. They're having trouble. Uh, the technician who came in the other day found the cause. Some mice had found their way into the house, and they were uh, spreading the fleas through it. We pray that that is the case and that it's done. Here's what I'm saying, though. This book has a lot of instructions on how to face every problem in life. It is illogical that we don't follow the instruction book. Because when we see what the Word of God says and apply it to our hearts and life, there comes a peace that surpasses understanding that comes from knowing that God does things well. It may not be what we desire. Do I desire her to go through surgeries? No. Do I desire her to go through the pain and agony that she's going through? No. Would I rather it be me? Most definitely. But yet at the same time, God has not called, called me to that. He's called her to that. And I know this, that if she depends upon him, he'll see her through every single step of the way. And if soon her last day comes, the moment after she breathes her last on earth, she will be with the Lord forevermore. And I have to believe Paul that's better, far better. Not for me, for her, for him, for eternity. And when I get to be with him, she'll just say, you should have been here long ago. Should have been here long ago. So this is basically what I would say is a sermonony. It is a testimony with a little bit of a sermon ahead of it. Here's the counsel. Learn the Word of God. Memorize portions of it. You see that I didn't turn to anything tonight because I want it to be part of me. I want you to have the Word of God at your disposal so that when you face a trial, you can say, God, this is from your Word. I do this. And Lord, because your word says it, I can depend upon it because you do all things well. And I will praise your name. Therefore, we have to praise him. At age 59, my mother passed away. I've lived now quite a few years past that. But when I got home on the night that she passed away, I turned to my wife when we walked in the room and she said, your mother passed away tonight. I was at Disneyland working on the submarine voyage. I walked in and said, praise the Lord, she's home with him. It hurts. Don't deny grief. You've lost fellowship. But realize this, she's gained more fellowship than you can imagine. And it's more wonderful than anything upon this earth. Scripture has one phrase in it that we don't understand. It says, how beautiful in the eyes of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. Beautiful. 
It's beautiful because the eternal end for that person is now there. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more agony. The opportunity to worship the Lord face to face and to do so for all eternity with nothing standing in the way of it. That is glorious. Not horrible. And we need to remember just that. James has a lot of teaching in it. Oh yeah, I know the teaching in chapter 5. I'm not concerned with that. What I am concerned is that I don't make my plans. I allow God to make His. And that I cooperate with Him in accomplishing those. That when I have opportunity to do what is good, I do the best I can. Knowing that His perfect gift is always what wisdom. And it is glorious if I depend upon Him. That I can face everything by His power and by His strength. And that He gives the opportunity to do things well. And I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful for a wife that says the same thing. We went. We were shocked. We don't understand why. But we know this. God's in control. He never lost control. And when we depend upon him, we'll be in control. Let's pray. Father, I come to you right now just to thank you for what we've shared in facing a trial from the book of James. Lord, I, I never intended to be an example of just dependence upon you, but your word gave instruction, and it was profitable. Rather than being pressed, we waited upon you. And when we waited upon you, we saw you work and how you are continuing to work in ways that we do not understand. God, I thank you for what medical people have been able to do with Wendy. And yet at the same time, her life is in your hands. For God, you could choose to heal her. You can choose to extend her life. You can choose to give her an extended period of time here upon this earth. But Lord, on that day that you have planned from long ago to take her home, that will be a homecoming that will be for eternity, and we are thankful for that because she'll be in your presence. How thankful I am that she came to know Christ as Lord and Savior and that nothing can touch her for eternity except you and being with you. And we thank you for that. Bless now our time of communion. In Christ's name, amen.